Welcome to the Darwinian Demon Podcast. I was sitting here today thinking about the um, this made-up issue of transgender bathrooms, how people are really freaking out about people being in, going into the wrong bathroom, quote-unquote, like, I guess, people who were born a man, they become a woman, and then they go into a, a women's room, and people are, how people are super up in, up in arms about it. I mean, people aren't, uh, okay. People aren't really up in arms about it, but the press and uh, Republican politicians are up in arms about it. And then I guess, I guess there are people who are defending people's rights to go into the bathrooms they want to go into are, are up in arms about it. But I was thinking about it in terms of plant mating systems and thinking about how this little issue has got certain people like losing their minds about it. The idea of people changing their gender has got people just going crazy when the concept of gender, when it comes to plants, is so fluid and so, um, there's just so much more going on there that, um, you know, when I, when I see this issue play out in humans, it's, it is funny to me, given what I know about plant mating systems and what goes on with plants, you know. So you have somebody like uh, Bruce Jenner. I guess it's it's Caitlyn Jenner now, but Bruce Jenner. um, I never really knew him as Bruce. So I don't really, I'm not super attached to it. I knew he he was uh, the first person on the cover of Wheaties. And I knew he was a um, decathlete. But that's really, I knew he won the gold medal. But I wasn't really married to the whole thing, so I never really cared. People, I never really cared either way, and I never watched the show. So, but the thing about it, about this whole thing, that's funny to me is, is you know, I like to I like to match some of the stuff I see in society with the things I know from evolutionary biology or things that I know from biology, and so, you know, Bruce Jenner, Bruce Bruce Jenner, <laughs> Bruce Jenner changed his gender and he was male first and then he became female and it it reminds me of a um this one type of plant mating system where where often plants it's called pro, um protog, protandry sorry protandry where you are a, a flower ha, is male first so it has a male sex and then it becomes a hermaphrodite You know, and then there's there's also um, protogeny where a flower is um, female first and then it becomes a, a hermaphrodite. And so, but there's a whole bunch of other stuff that plants are doing, that plants do with, with regard to their mating systems. And, um, and if, and just, you know, I mean, it would, it would, it would blow the average Republican senator's mind. I mean, if they, if they knew what plants were doing, they'd probably try to outlaw plants. They'd probably try to ban flowers. In fact, that's right. They, I think in the Victorian era, I think it's like women weren't allowed to look at, at orchid flowers at all. 
because they were just they were deemed too um I guess they were too sexually suggestive maybe. Anyway, they weren't allowed to look at those kinds of flowers because it was it was just too much. So if these Republicans knew what these plants were up to as far as their gender, they'd probably be they'd probably be flip, uh, flipping out. And the, I mean, the reason that I say that this is a made-up issue is because this is always there's always been transgender people. I remember as a as a small child, as as you know, easily like four or five years old, and I'm in my forties now. I remember there was this there was a guy or a woman on my street named this guy's name Herman. Everybody called him Herman, but Herman dressed up like a woman. But now Herman really looked bad. Herman did not look. Herman was not passable as a woman, but Herman dressed up as a woman. And I mean, as a child, I thought it was the most hilarious thing in the world. But um, now I can kind of see that there's a lot. It was a lot going on with Herman. At first, as a child, I just thought, okay, wow, that guy's dressed up like a woman. Ha ha, that's really funny. But what I mean is, like, this has been an. This is something that has gone on that we've always known about. It's something that has been around forever, but now for some reason we want to act like we want to act brand new. We want to act like this is like, oh, this is we gotta we gotta solve this issue. Both both sides of the thing are, are flipping out about it. And look, we gotta solve this issue about the transgender bathrooms. It's like, do we really? Cause, I mean, we already had this issue solved. I mean, my feeling about it was always like, hey, look, go into the bathroom that you can get away with. If you are good enough at dressing up as one of the genders, as a, as a gender, you go in that bathroom. If, you know, if somebody can't tell from 20 feet away that you were born a man and now you're a woman, man, you just go into a women's room. That's how it always has been. Now, now it's like we got to legislate everything. But anyway. The point of it and the point of this show is to just talk about, just to illustrate some of the crazy mating systems that plants go, that plants go through. Just so you can see the, the standard male-female mating systems that, that we're used to is sort of just the tip of the iceberg for plants. It's just one of many types of mating systems that you can find in, in plants. And um, and I think the basis of a lot of that, of a lot of the, the 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 variation in mating systems that you see from plants, probably it probably has a lot to do with the fact that plants can't just get up and walk around. But there's probably more to it than that. But so so this show today is about it's about mating systems and it's about inbreeding depression. And so we'll talk about how those two things are related and what they mean in the show. Now, all the stuff we're going to talk, I'm going to talk about in this show is about, is about sex. And I want to draw a distinction between sex versus cloning. Because they're two, although both are reproductive strategies, they're, they're really very different. Cloning is kind of, is cloning, right? Like, you, like everybody kind of knows what cloning is. You've seen any of those, uh, those horrible uh, Star, Star Wars movies from few years back where they had uh where they talked about clones right and they had all those boba fett clones so you just make a copy of of a genotype right so if you were to just like make a put yourself in a xerox machine and make a copy of yourself that'd be a clone 
right? Sex is very different. Sex is reproduction, but it's not making clones. It's not making a copy, right? So you're, you know, like anybody who has children, your children are not copies of you. They're like sort of different versions of, of two people. And that's because of the, this really important thing in sex called recombination. And so in this show, when we talk about sex, I'm going to talk about inbreeding and outcrossing. So yeah, just to sort of, let's just leave recombination aside for a second, but we're talking about inbreeding and outcrossing, right? So inbreeding is sex between relatives, right? And it could be, in the case of plants, it can be really, really close relatives to the point where individuals self-fertilize, so they have sex with themselves, right? That's why you have, and you have a lot of plants that are hermaphroditic. They have male and female parts, and they're able to have sex with themselves or self-fertilize. And then you have outcrossing, which is kind of what we think about when we think of normal sex, right? Where sex that doesn't involve uh, sex between between um, close relatives or, or self-fertilization. And the, the main thing about sex, the most important thing is I alluded to, alluded to is this thing called recombination. And it's really about making gametes, right? And gametes are just um, sperm and eggs. Now, again, if you think back to a person that's having children that aren't twins, um, the sperm and the eggs, that, that lets you know that something's going on because not all eggs are identical, right? It's not like all the, all the children are not identical, so all the sperm and eggs are not identical, right? And you know men, um, at least in, in the case of, uh, of animals, I'm sorry, not animals, of um, mammals, let's just keep it in mammals, mammals, the males determine the sex of the offspring, right? So you have some gametes that have an X chromosome and some gametes have a Y chromosome. And so you end up with males or females depending on which gamete you get. So the sperm are, um, they're not identical. And the eggs are not identical. And when you fuse, you get the, all the DNA from the sperm and all the DNA from the egg. Now, if an individual... And, and this works a lot, this wor- works basically the same way in plants. And, and when I'm saying plants in this, in this show, I'm really, t- I'm talking about, let's just keep it on flowering plants. There are a lot of other kinds of plants out there, but we're just going to worry about the flowering plants today because they're the ones with all the crazy parts that would get people super, super, that would probably make Republicans pass a law if they knew about them. So anyway, the... The um, when you have this these sperm and eggs and they and they they fer- they fuse together and they form this what they call a zygote right so they form this individual that has one copy from mom and one copy from dad. Now, if an individual were self fertilized, they would have two copies from mom or dad, right? Or in this case, it wouldn't be mom or dad, but they'd have two copies from that same individual. And that has some really important implications for plant mating system evolution. So imagine now you have an individual that has two copies of the genome from the same individual. Now those two copies aren't necessarily identical, but they are two copies from the, from the, same, from the same individual. Now what that can do is that can introduce a lot of... Um, a lot of problems for the individual down the road, depending on on what's going on in the in the population as a whole. 
So now think, imagine again now that there are mutations, and there are mutations. And mutations are just uh, mistakes in copying DNA. The proteins that copy DNA, they work really, really well, but every once in a while they make a mistake. And the vast, vast majority of these mistakes are not good. And a lot of them are, tend to be recessive. And what I mean by recessive is that if you have two copies of the mistake, then you'll end up with some effect on, on the phenotype. If you just have one copy of the mistake, then you might be okay. But having two copies of the mistakes of the mistake could, um, could have a really detrimental effect on the individual. So when you have an individual that is self-fertilizing or, or even just baiting with close relatives, you end up with a higher chance of bringing two of the exact same kind of mistake together into the same individual. So an individual will end up with that trait, with up with that mutation. Now I know that there's been a you know there's all these X-Men movies that have everybody thinking that mutations are great and if you end up with a mutation you're going to have you know you're going to end up with the power to heal yourself and you have these big claws shooting out of your forearms and you'll be slashing things to pieces or you'll be controlling the weather or doing all kinds of other crazy X-Men escapades. But that's not really going that's not going to happen, right? That's not going to happen at all. You you know you know mutations are generally not good. So that that being said, um, that's not really the end of the story either, because now imagine what happens in a population. You have a population of individuals, and some individuals are inbred. Some individuals self fertilize, and they produce some of these. They end up with some of these deleterious recessive mutations, and they. And so they end up expressing this phenotype. They end up expressing this. They end up expressing the mutations. Well, natural selection is going to weed them out of the population, right? So if that happens over and over and over again with lots and lots of self-fertilization, well, all those deleterious mutations end up leaving the population and the effect of inbreeding isn't so bad anymore. Now think about this for a second. What if you're inbreeding and there's no bad effects from inbreeding and you, and you, and you, uh, you, know, you reproduce sexually? Well, what you just did is when you do that is you just, instead of passing on one copy of your genome when, through, through outcrossing, you passed on two copies from inbreeding. So you're getting twice the benefit of you getting twice the fitness benefit from inbreeding. And that's that can be quite substantial. So for a plant, a plant population to evolve to either be inbreeding or outcrossing, it's gonna have to cross that threshold where inbreed where the cost of inbreeding is is now low enough or yeah, the cost of inbreeding is now is now low enough where it can where it's it's actually better to inbreed than to outcross because you get to pass on two copies of of your DNA. So that's a really good reason for inbreeding. At the same time, again, there's outcrossing. And with all those mutations and all the, the deleterious uh, recessive effects of some of those alleles, outcrossing can be really good too. 
And so there's all these models in plant population biology, especially uh, about 30 years ago. There were a bunch of models and, and some really influential models that predicted, well, what you should see is you should see, you should see plant populations either being inbreeding or outcrossing. You shouldn't really see much in the middle. You shouldn't really see plants that are like do a little bit of inbreeding, but then some outcrossing or do a lot of or do you know, half outcrossing, half inbreeding. You shouldn't really see that. Well, when we look at nature, what we see is we don't see that. We see mixtures. We see a lot of mixed mating. And so we have to scramble to fix our models and say, well, why are we seeing all this mixed mating? And that's sort of a and that's a topic really for a different show. But we see all this all this mixed mating. And the mixed mating um tells you that there's something all the mixed mating though does tell you that there's something going on. It tells you that plants are trying to, you know, not, you know, I'm not to anthropomorphize, but but plant populations do have to weigh this outcrossing versus versus inbreeding. So in plants, you see a, a really wide array of mating types. You see a lot of different mating systems, what I mean by that. You can have mating systems or types of, and you can look at the floral anatomy to really get a, a, a picture of what the mating system is. So you can get mating systems that are, that promote inbreeding, that where, where the plant just basically, all it does is inbreed. You know, one example of that is this type of floral morphology called cleistogamy where the flowers don't even open. You get everything from that to what in what in plant in botany is called dioecy. And dioecy is just it's just normal sex that we as humans think about where you have you have a male plant and a female plant. I mean it's funny that what we consider what we as humans and 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 most and what's found in most of the animal kingdom as far as the mating system is is an extreme form of mating in plants. It's it's just one end of the of the mating spectrum in plants, but it's a it's one end of the one end of the spectrum, which is really kind of fascinating because there's all these other things that are possible, but and and the whole kingdom of of organisms do it, but plants only only a, a smaller subset of plants actually even bother with with our normal type of uh, mating systems system. And I kind of think the reason that there's all this variation in plant mating systems is because plants can't move. That might be one of the reasons. So plants can't move, but they have to attract mates. And so and so they have to have sex. And sex can be a big investment for a lot of plants. Especially we just think about a plant. Think about a plant that's outcrossing, a plant that wants to have that wants to have sex with different individuals. Right. And but the other individuals are are somewhere else. They're spatially separated. And so they've got to get pollen from one of their flowers into the flower of another individual somehow. And the way the plants the two main ways plants do that are through uh through vectors. One of the vectors is wind and the other vectors tend to be animal vectors. And specifically I'll talk a little bit about birds and bees, right? So this is like the birds and the bees for plants. So they have to be able to attract birds or bees to their flowers. And to do that, they usually have to give them some type of an award, right? They have to give them nectar or pollen 
so they can take it back to the in the case of bees the bees take it back to the um to the beehive right and they um and so they 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 use that reward as a way to get the bees to travel to different to different um flowers and hopefully some of that pollen that the bees are collecting will end up on the female reproductive parts the stigmas of another of another individual and they will successfully engage in sex so that's pretty wild right they have to that's that's what's going on when you see bees going from different flowers what's going on is the bees have an interest in collecting uh, nectar and or pollen and the flowers they don't care the plants don't care what the bees do as long as they are spreading pollen around and when you get in the case of plants like orchids they do they do so many little they there's so much trickeration going on with orchids where where they're trying to give the bees as little reward as possible and to make sure that they maximize the chance of fertilization meanwhile the bees are also doing the bees bees also do all kinds of tricks you know there are bees that and this just seems downright spiteful even though it's not you can see why they do it there there's some bees that instead of actually going into the flower and getting the pollen and and run and rubbing across all the reproductive parts, they kind of go under the flower, cut it open, and grab the pollen from underneath, right? And so they kind of just like, so they get pollen a lot faster, and they don't end up uh, wasting much of it. And they don't have to go through all the all the hoops that the plant wants them to go through in order to to poll- to successfully pollinate. So pollinators cheat all the time, so they're not super reliable, but a lot of plants rely on them. The other alternative is to use wind, and a lot of plants use wind. So, you know, you see conifers, for example, like pine trees, they get pollinated through the wind. And some and some um, non, you know, some uh, non-conifers, some angiosperms, I can't think of a, a good a good word for that besides the, the scientific word. Um, trees like maple trees, they are also wind-pollinated. So they, and in that case, that's a, that's a species that, probably started out animal pollinated and then evolved wind pollination because animals are just are just too unreliable and when you look you can see when you look at some of the data you can see that wind pollination does seem to be a little more um seem to get a little more bang for your buck as far with wind pollination now the other problem is competition plants compete for pollinators so you so you there could be a there could be a species out there that's flowering and and attracting pollinators but then some other species shows up and starts flowering and all the pollinators leave and start pollinating this other one and so there's all this competition i mean basically you know it comes down to like these bees ain't loyal right like these bees will they don't care they'll they'll stick with whatever is giving them the best reward and so there's a lot going on with just trying to outcross there's a lot of resources required to outcross and all of that is about trying to avoid all those deleterious effects from inbreeding but if you could just but if a plant could just self-fertilize it could avoid all that drama the problem is it's got to get over that threshold it's got to get over all those deleterious effects but if it can then it's on to something different so imagine again. Imagine where you have a population that is that doesn't have all these effects of inbreeding depression. It doesn't carry what the, what we call an inbreeding load. So a self fertilization isn't gonna isn't gonna always result in lower fitness for the offspring. In that case, 
there's no reason for a plant to produce some big showy flower that's really pretty to attract pollinators. It doesn't it doesn't need pollinators. It can just its floral anatomy will allow self-fertilization. So a lot of plants that are inbreeding and self-fertilize, they'll have really, really small flowers. And what they might do is they might actually open and then for a little bit, these little small flowers, but even when they when they open, there's there's so much contact between the male and female parts of the flower that the plant's able to self-fertilize. Some plants take it even more extreme. You know, I, I mentioned cleistogamy earlier. Plants that are cleistogamous, their flowers don't even open, and they just self-fertilize. And so some of these things I've been telling you about, you can you can sort of look at a plant and see what kind of... Um, you can just look at the flowers of plants, and, and you can get a really good guess of what kind of mating system it has. So when you see a plant that has really big flowers, for example, really big flowers with lots of pollen or lots of nectar... That thing's trying to outcross. It's trying to it's trying to attract mates. It's trying to basically get pollinators to take its pollen from one um, flower to a to a different flower. If you see a plant with really small flowers, that's telling you something different. That's telling you, well, it's probably self fertilizing, right? That's telling you, or or flowers that don't open. It's telling you self fertilizing. Now a lot of plants, a lot of flowering plants like the grasses, where they have these green flowers. That's telling you that they're probably wind pollinated, and so a lot of those are, are going to be outcrossing, but you won't be able to. But some of them may be selfing as well. But a lot of them are going to be outcrossing the ones with the uh, with the green flowers. But if they're green with the producing lots of pollen, then those are going to be um, wind pollinated and outcrossing. So between those two, well, before I say that, just and also just think about this. Now, what do you think? Think about what happens when a plant is self-fertilizing and it doesn't really carry that 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 effect of of inbreeding and it produces really really small flowers basically if when we think about evolution of of a species like that there's no reason for that species to outcross that's that species should just continue to self-fertilize whereas for an outcrossing species if it can overcome that if it can overcome the effects of inbreeding depression, there's no reason to put itself through all this, you know, making all these big rewards, all the pollen competition, you know, all the all the um, the uncertainty about mating that's associated with outcrossing. Like, will the pollinators come? Will they not? You know, will they not come? What's going to happen? So there's some definite advantages to inbreeding for an outcrosser, but that the advantages. For outcrossing, for an inbreeding plant that, that doesn't really have inbreeding depression, there's no real advantages there. And, that's, and we see that supported in the, in the scientific literature, in the, in the evolutionary literature, where you can see evolution progressing from... You can, a lot of times you can see these transitions that go from outcrossing to inbreeding. So you can see mating systems evolve from outcrossing to inbreeding, but there are very, very few examples of a mating systems going from inbreeding to outcrossing. I think I saw a paper recently that found evidence for um, a transition from inbreeding to, to outcrossing, and people and the, the authors freaked out about it. They thought it was the best thing since sliced bread. They couldn't believe it. I mean, that just shows you how, how rare this is, how, how it just basically doesn't happen. So 
That brings us to mixed mating. Mixed mating is is mating that's between these two. So in a mixed mating uh, system, plants do a little bit of outcrossing and and some and then a lot of inbreeding, or maybe do a little bit of inbreeding and a lot of outcrossing, or somewhere somewhere in between those two. And it seems like plants that are mixed mating are trying to get the best of both worlds. They're trying to outcross, but they also recognize that, well, this outcrossing might not work. And I know it does work. And what does work is inbreeding. And what I mean by that, what I mean by inbreeding works is now if a plant is inbreeding, if it's self-fertilizing, it's, it's going to reproduce, right? It's not good. It's not going to have to wait for pollinators. It's not going to hope that have to hope that there are different morphs of the same type of flower around or, or any of that kind of stuff. It's going to reproduce. It may not produce the best offspring, but it's going to reproduce. Now you weigh that with outcrossing against outcrossing and, and then you, you might, you, you can see why there is so much mixed mating because what happens with outcrossing is if you, if there are a bunch, if there are some successful outcrossing, you end up with these great offspring, these offspring that don't have any inbreeding. They're not inbred. They don't carry any of these deleterious uh, recessive mutations or they carry very few. So they have high fitness and the individual does better in the, in the long run. Like the individual's fitness is, is higher in the, in the long run. So a lot, what a lot of plants that mix mating have mixed mating do, what they do is they have these, these floral morphologies that, that promote outcrossing. But then if outcrossing doesn't work, then they self-fertilize. So a plant that I worked with in my dissertation, it, was a, it had pretty small flowers, so it clearly was doing a lot of selfing. But when the flower opened up in the morning, so early in the morning when the flower first opened, it had the male parts and the female parts were separated. And so if you looked at the female parts, there was no pollen on the female parts from that same individual. So there was no inbreeding that had happened early in the morning. Well, at the end of the day, when the flower was getting ready to die, the flower sort of collapsed on itself. And then all that pollen from the male parts of the flower collapsed onto the female part of the flower. So that pollen then allowed the flower to self-fertilize, right? So it was able to self-fertilize if, if there was no if there was no pollination. So imagine again, so go back again and, and imagine that flower. Imagine if 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 a pollinator had brought some pollen onto that onto that female flower, or I'm sorry, onto the female parts of the flower early in the morning. Well that pollen would get a head start on fertilizing the egg before the self-pollen that would happen when the flower collapsed. So that, that's, that's something called reproductive assurance, where the plant tries to outcross, and if outcrossing doesn't work out, it can, it can, it can self-fertilize. And that's a, a way to promote mixed mating, and that's a, make, a mixed mating system. And so that brings us back to, this, to the idea of, you know, that's why, and that's, that's basically why I was so, um, this whole thing about the transgender bathrooms to me is, is um, I mean, it's silly in its own right, but it's also silly in, in the context when you start thinking about all the stuff that, that goes on in plant mating systems. And it's because we, 
we mammals have this in my you know when I look at the world through the eyes of a of a plant population, we mammals have this really extreme mating system, Daishi, right? We have this really extreme system where 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 we have males and females, and that's just it and and then we we're upset because there's some individuals that basically they want to be like they want to do like protandry, right? They want to be male first. And then female is not really pro tandry, but they, you know, you get what I'm saying. They want to, they want to do, they want to do something different. They want to do something that's in the plant world is, is a lot more pedestrian, right? They want to just switch sex a little bit just to, you know, for whatever reason they want to do it, they want to do it. It's not our business, but for some reason, some people want it to be their business. And so it's, it's in the context of the natural world. Um, in the larger context of natural, it's pretty natural to have more fluid genders. In the human world, I guess I guess some people think it's it's not, but you know, again, we've turned something that was not a big deal into you know, which is what we do nowadays. We've turned something that was not a big deal into into a big deal. And anyway, that's the uh, that's the show for today. So just remember, plants are doing all kinds of weird stuff. Please don't tell any Republicans what they're doing. You can get a, a sense of what they're doing. If you ever just open up some flowers and look at them, you can, you can get a sense of whether a, a plant is a hermaphrodite, whether it has male or female parts in the same flower, or what it, whether it's trying to outcross or inbreed and, 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 th- and things along those lines. So until next time.